How do you know you're up to date? When you follow EMS World, you answer that question with confidence. Because when we say EMS World, we mean the whole world of EMS. The remaining question for you is how will you stay up to date? In print, online, at EMS World Expo, the world's largest EMS dedicated conference, and now in a podcast. Welcome to another episode of EMS World Podcasts. I'm your host, Mike McCabe. Today's podcast is an exciting one as we discuss the September 2020 cover story entitled Then and Now, which happens to look back at the cover story from September 2000 entitled 21st Century EMS. We're going back to the future, folks, to analyze just how accurate those all-star EMS prognosticators were in where EMS would be in the future. With me today to discuss this retrospective piece is one of those industry leaders who participated in that article 20 years ago, Chief Richard Patrick. Rick is a longtime board member of EMS World and currently serves as the Director of National Fire Programs at the U.S. Fire Administration. Rick, welcome and thanks for being here today. Mike, thank you very much. It's a privilege to, to speak with you. Well, it's the privilege is mine, Rick. And, and let me start by saying, how did you do? How did we do as an industry, as we look back 20 years in the making, where do we stand? Well, I think we stand uh, pretty well. Uh, we've made some really good progress over the past 20 years. Of course, you know, as an optimist uh, and, uh, you know, trying to look into the, the future to improve this, this great profession, uh, maybe some things don't always seem to occur fast enough. But we have made some really good progress in the industry, you know, as a whole, and uh, we've got a long way to go, but it's all positive. Yeah, I agree, Rick. I do. Um, I, I Do I think that we're where we need to be um, completely in this industry? No. But have we made positive steps? There's no question. So, you know, looking back at that article from 20 years ago, it's, it's, it's kind of neat. It's cool. It's something different. You know, it, it's kind of like that time capsule thing that you do with your kids or with your wife when you get married and you look back at things. And uh, there were some real heavy hitters back then that, you know, certainly made their thoughts known on where the industry was going and, and to kind of circle back 20 years later, find out where they are now and what their thought process is now on what has happened and, and what their thoughts were back then and, and whether it came to fruition or not is really cool. And, and you, as I said, were one of those folks and, and, you know, you certainly, uh, you made reference to Star Trek and, and the Jetsons and that type of stuff. And I think that's something that we often do, you know, when we're looking into the future and, you know, there are some really key points here back then, Rick, back then you were serving in the EMS insurance side of things, correct? Yeah, I was I was working as a uh, uh, a paramedic and a, a volunteer firefighter at that sp uh, particular time, but uh, I was working for the insurance industry uh, for fire and emergency medical services, uh, risk control, and uh, education and training to keep uh, to keep our providers and our organizations uh, safer. Okay, and now for the listeners. As I mentioned in the intro here, you are working as the chief and the director of U.S. Fire Administration for the federal government, correct? Uh, yes. Yeah. The National Fire Programs Division within the U.S. Fire Administration, uh, where we lead uh, the data collection for uh, fire responses, fire department responses across the nation, and then uh, analyze that data uh, into uh, statistical reports and, and other uses 
for research and public education and awareness uh, in all aspects of emergency response. So just that alone, you know, just in what you said is something that has progressed over the last 20 years, obviously. So data collection, analysis, you know, metrics that drive us to for change, you know, those are types of things that have emerged over these last 20 years. And, you know, obviously one of your key responsibilities within that is disaster preparedness. So I'd love for you to speak to me about your thoughts on disaster preparedness, you know, specific to EMS and where we've come in the last 20 years. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's an interesting question, question considering today, September 1st, this is National Preparedness Month. So, you know, you're going to see social media uh, and other mediums uh, probably lined with all kinds of preparedness messages across the board. And with the current pandemic, you know, it's also hurricane and wildfire season. And this amplifies the need to plan and prepare. Uh, the industry has seen and actually participated in the development of uh, guidance to integrate EMS and disaster response from as far back as not just in 2000, but even prior to that. And of course, the events of, uh, of September 11th, 2001, you know, changed the course of, of, of history in so many ways, but including um, preparedness. And uh, it was probably uh, sometime around the, the 2010 mark, 2012 mark that the US Fire Administration, I wasn't there at the time, but I was working at the United States Department of Homeland Security Headquarters, which is the Fire Administration's parent organization uh, within the US government. But I was working in uh, the Office of Health Affairs doing a lot of EMS and first responder uh, uh, preparedness on a lot of types of disaster uh, and catastrophic events that we in some ways, pray never occur, and at the same times we time we uh, plan and we prepare. So it ranges, you know, anything from if you want to talk an anthrax attack and sarin gas to this the pandemic. You know, this this pandemic and the planning and the preparation for this type of a situation has been going on for decades. It's 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 nothing new. It's not like okay, we have a pandemic now. What do we do? But that being said, um, the U.S. Fire Administration and the Office of Health Affairs at Homeland Security Headquarters, we partnered uh, together to study how EMS response to events uh, such as these might have uh, with a large number of patients or victims. And following uh, that study, we published a guide for how EMS departments can uh, uh, best respond to these mass care incidents. So it doesn't matter the delivery model of EMS, it's emergency medical services as a whole. And that document's titled Operational Templates and Guidance for EMS Mass Incident Deployment. That can be found on the USFA uh, website uh, with that. But this mass guide uh, helps uh, agencies prepare for mass care incidents like natural disasters and pandemics, as well as other emergencies. And by developing policies for how to respond to several types of emergencies and hazards, uh, I will offer, though, that one challenge, and, and this is a challenge in so much of, of EMS and emergency services as a whole, is staffing. And without adequate staff and adequate resources to effectively respond to the day-to-day -day EMS responses, one might raise the question of how larger scale incidents would be effectively managed. Absolutely. And I was just jotting something down because you say staffing. And 
first and foremost, it's it's ironic because we are in the middle of this pandemic. If you look at it now from today's standard, we are integrating all of our response communities into this this battle against this pandemic. And and I look back and I say, you know, 20 years ago, before 9-11, were we in the same position with respect to all of our counterparts and all of our colleagues? I do a lot of teaching on, you know, mitigation through integration. It's it's a huge component of being successful in these types of things and these types of fights, not just a terror attack, but a pandemic. Are we all paddling in the same direction or are we working against each other? And then you mentioned things about staffing issues. And and certainly that lends itself to, are we maintaining personnel or are we maintaining qualified personnel in this industry? Is there parity with EMS? And and I, I personally, I pose that question to you, but I, I personally believe that we're not there yet. And, and I feel like we are losing qualified personnel to other agencies and, and other areas of expertise because of this issue. And I'm curious of your thoughts. Yeah, that, that's certainly a, a concern. I, I would say that over the course of the past 20 years, we have certainly enhanced the uh, academic uh, and clinical knowledge and application of out-of-hospital medical care, uh, regardless of the level of provider uh, that's out there. But where maybe we have not gained as much as we could have uh, is, to your point, the sustainment of an EMT, a paramedic, or some other you know, credentialed you know, pre-hospital provider where they can make it their professional career uh, so they don't have to use it as a stepping stone in order to go on to be um, another medical profession uh, that actually has the recognition and compensation for a livable wage and lifestyle. And that's one of the ma- major lacking parts uh, of EMS, you know, I think, within the within the country and where we need to really look at, you know, going forward. One big personnel issue uh, is the volunteer part of the the EMS provider. And, you know, we're experiencing a reduction across the country in many areas of EMS providers, as well as fire service providers, as a result of the pandemic itself uh, and many different uh, uh, impacts associated with that. But as these numbers start to decrease uh, even more, uh, you know, coupled with the higher demands of, of, of better education and, uh, and continuing education to maintain your licenses and the like, it's not a bad thing, but it also has some negative impacts that, uh, that, that hurt the ability for one to actually volunteer. So, so that is a, uh, an issue. And I, I think the, the lack of uh, a recognized professional label uh, in order for us to build upon equal to that of nursing, physicians, and the like, uh, we may continue this struggle for the next decade. I agree completely. And, you know, I think that in EMS, the attrition rate is is so high for that very reason. Can you live? Can you make a livable wage? Can you have a family and raise a family on that wage? And And I think it just harkens back to a lack of understanding of EMS specifically. I mean, for instance, and and I'll ask you, you're the chief for the U.S. Fire Administration. What is there a U.S. EMS administration? What if, you know, we had that? Is Would that be a possibility? 
I don't know uh, because I don't feel that EMS is universally understood in this country because it takes on so many different forms. You know, whether it's like you say, volunteer, or whether it's paid, or paid through a municipality, paid through fire services. Is it a hybrid unit, fire EMS, fire rescue? It just takes on so many different forms and to the point where people don't even really understand the difference between an EMT or a paramedic. You know, this goes back to the whole 9-11, post 9-11, where it was police, fire and emergency workers. You know, I, I think that that lack of understanding certainly contributes to the confusion with the industry and the ability for the industry to move forward. I think the confusion of the bulk of what you just said in the recognition area of the different models and how we advertise and market ourselves is a huge player in this. You know, I cannot address the, a separate administration for EMS. And you know, I'm not sure that that's the silver bullet that would change anything within the federal government. We have a lead federal EMS office in the federal government. Uh, it's in the Department of Transportation's National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, and it's an, it's the office of EMS that that leads the federal government's roles. And, and we at the Fire Administration, as well as uh, any entity in Homeland Security as, and other federal agencies like the Department of Defense and Health and Human Services, uh, all participate uh, within that body. Uh, one of the things that could you know, definitely help within the government itself is is resourcing the uh, organization designed to address the collective um, EMS initiatives within the federal government, and that's FICOMS, the Federal Interagency Committee for Emergency Medical Services. That's been around for decades. Uh, with that, but it's not resourced as far as you know adequate funding and staffing in order to actually move that forward. But setting that aside, I would offer to you that um, you know our industry as a whole collectively uh, should consider coming together in the collegial format they have on so many topics to talk about professional recognition. You know, if you step back and you think about nursing and you have specialties from emergency medicine nurses to CCU and ICU, uh, and you name the specialty, right? But at the end of the day, they're called a nurse in the practice of nursing, in the profession of nursing. Um, you know, physicians, the exact same thing, whether you, you know, you, you're going to a cardiologist or a neurologist or an orthopede. Uh, at the end of the day, they're physicians. How can what what do you say in EMS other than EMS and that line? So I would offer that you know their professional recognition for the profession of paramedicine is something that needs to come together in order to gain that recognition holistically at the local, state, and federal level uh, to help move our profession forward. I couldn't agree more with you. Uh, I, I think that is a fantastic point in a sense that we aren't pushing that forward enough. I think that there are a lot of different things and initiatives that are coming down the pipeline. Some were predicted way back when, including that you know mobile integrated health side of things and, and the ET3 model and getting away from that fee for service model and focusing more 
on the preventative type medicine to keep people out of the hospital, it's it's a total 180 from where we were initially. And maybe that is the bridge that we utilize in the paramedicine type forum to to push us forward into the next decade and get us that recognition that we're looking for on a, on a daily basis in this industry. As we move forward, I just wanted to pivot a little bit and ask you what your thoughts were on how we have progressed or we haven't progressed in the EMS safety side of things, you know, specifically to, you know, vehicle safety and personnel safety. How do you feel that we have done on that side in the last 20 years? Oh, sure. You know, safety uh, for anybody that knows me has been a, uh, a passion of mine. I've been nicknamed a safety geek uh, decades ago. Uh, for a multitude of reasons. And, you know, when, when the original article came out, as you noted earlier, I worked for the insurance industry and risk and safety management um, with that. And, you know, I was privileged to travel to virtually every state in the union um, and a, a dozen other countries talking about EMS uh, safety uh, from leadership and management to boots on the street providers. Uh, and it's all about you know, making it personal. And, and here's the point, you know, 20 years ago, or I should say the risk today isn't any different than it was 20 years ago. If anything, the risk is even greater by the mere fact of the additional skills that we've been taught and the technology that has allowed us to uh, aid, a, you know, advanced medical care uh, it's almost exponential in 20 years, but that comes with risk uh, associated as well. So in the safety and risk realm, now I could talk about this for hours, but in, in the nutshell itself, I, I will say that roadway safety in particular is, is just one point to, to make note that I'm not so sure much has changed in 20 years. And that's the sad part. If you look at the number of ambulance and emergency, other related emergency vehicle collisions, responding to, operating at, and returning from incidents uh, is, it's grossly unacceptable uh, across the board. And the point is that we need to implore amongst our profession on a constant basis that the emergency that you're responding to is not yours. It's somebody else's. And if we don't get there in a safe and effective manner and then function safely while there and then safely transport those applicable patients to the appropriate facilities, what good are we doing for anybody? And it's in all of those little pauses that I just had that Murphy, you know, Murphy's Law is waiting to jump in and make things go wrong. You know, the list this year alone already is, is endless in the number of EMS personnel that have either been struck along the roadway at an incident they were operating at, you know, some of which were killed, others, you know, seriously injured, um, that it's like I'm talking about the same thing I was 20 years ago in just a different, a different role. So that, that's a, a serious concern that, that I have. Um, but also take it to the point of safety in general with EMS. It's a mixed bag. I referenced the technology uh, and, and the different equipment that's out there. You know, we've got some great technology to reduce back injuries. 
uh, in such things as uh, the way modern day stretchers are made, uh, you know, with that. But that's that's a positive advance over the course of the past uh, 20 years. But with that comes additional, you know, training and education, you know, associated with each one of these pieces and the funding to do it as well. And we're, we didn't even talk about funding in this podcast uh, for for the industry as a whole. Oh, I agree. There are uh, we could probably have a four hour podcast, but they would kick us off. Uh, there are so many pieces that are left untouched in in this discussion, Rick. But you know, some of the things that we touched upon today were were really exciting to talk about. Certainly different, and um, absolutely was uh, a blast speaking with you about this retrospective study on this article from 20 years ago. And again, I have no idea what the future holds. We certainly have opinions, but we can only hope that the EMS industry continues to build and continues to work to fight for the recognition that they deserve. And obviously, you know, your efforts on the federal level go so far in, in driving us in that direction. And I want to thank you for coming on with us today. Uh, it's truly been a pleasure. And I ask that you continue to make these changes and and drive this industry in the direction that it's supposed to go moving forward. Thank you for the opportunity. It's been a pleasure. I'm Mike McCabe. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for another episode of EMS World Podcasts. This has been an episode of EMS World Podcast. You can find this audio and more like it on the podcast page of emsworld.com. You can also follow EMS World on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram.